0: Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome again to the Empower Humans Podcast. This is episode 109. And today we have an incredible interview with Megan Gallagher. She's only 24 years old. She's got her third TED Talk coming out, she's got her fourth book coming out this year. She's been featured on NBC News, Forbes. Uh, she's best-selling author, speaker, all kinds of great things, and uh, a lot of what she does revolves around anxiety and mental health. She dealt with a lot of this her own self, and uh, we got to compare notes a little bit because I grew up uh, as a teenager in the 90s, like some of you, and uh, she grew up in the last decade as a teenager. So we got to talk about all the kind of differences, the differences between the internet and social media and the various forms of seclusion and not and all the different factors that feed into anxiety. We talked about parenting skills and styles and techniques and communication And goodness gracious, I could go on and on, but we talked a lot about, especially towards the end, Uh, All kinds of techniques for overcoming and managing uh, anxiety in general, and she's got all kinds of great pointers and experience and tidbits. We had a great, great conversation. I can't say enough about it, but uh, before we jump into that real fast, want to remind you, as always, you are absolutely priceless. Nothing, nothing, nothing in this world can change that. Nobody, nothing anyone says, does anything you see. We talked about this in the interview, social media. Uh, where it makes you feel less as a person with what you see, someone's body, someone's lifestyle. They're sitting on a yacht and you're not. Hey, that rhymed. But guess what? Even though it rhymed, doesn't make it something that you need to feel bad about or good about or anything. You're just watching someone post a picture, many of which have been polished in some kind of way, Photoshopped. Uh, We talked about all this stuff in the interview. You are absolutely priceless. Don't ever forget that. Along with that, of course, you are never alone. A lot of the stuff you're going through, Megan talks here in our interview about all kinds of stuff, realizing that she's not alone. And lots and lots of people go through these uh, various difficulties in life from anxiety and even depression and bipolar. We talked about all this stuff. But a lot of it is how we talk to ourselves, how we frame things. And last thing before we jump into the interview are challenges, study Start studying, keep studying, whatever your story is. I just started listening to Think and Grow Rich again for probably the third or fourth time in <laughs> my life. Excellent book about our mindset and uh, getting inspiration from the universe and lots of things like that. A uh, mentor I'm working with uh It invited me to go back and do that. And there's something to be said for sometimes repeating things. You know, there's people who, religious people, who reread the same scriptures over and over again, uh, or scientific and medical people who reread the same journals, reports, and uh, and so on that they've learned over the years. Uh, There's something to be said for refreshing and reminding, repetition. Uh, So repetition is the mother of skill and on and on. There's all these things. Zig Ziglar and Tony Robbins talk about all that. So study, keep studying. If Even if you go back and study something you've already studied like, like I am and I'm getting new things out of it, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, make great moments, our second challenge. Do that with your loved ones. Uh, I've been doing that a lot with my kids. This weekend is father's day. Happy father's day to everyone. This podcast is coming out on father's day. If you're listening and it's October, happy father's day for the next year. (laughs) I hope everyone's doing better with this whole virus situation, but make great moments, make the centerpiece of your life those things and those people that matter most. And I promise these will be pillars as we, whatever point we come to an end in this life, as we all will, that we'll be able to look back on and say, you know what, in spite of whatever shortcomings, mistakes and all these other things in life, these great moments uh, overshadow all of it. And the last challenge, of course, let's keep doing this podcast together. Love you and appreciate you. I'm flattered we spend time together. I'm grateful for you and grateful here for Megan and all her great wisdom at such a young age and all kinds of topics across the board uh, related especially to mental health and anxiety. I think you're going to really enjoy this one. Uh, So without further ado, here's our interview with Megan Gallagher. Excited today to bring you Megan Gallagher, author, speaker, Uh, Just overall proponent of mental health and (laughs) helping, especially youth and teens, and sharing her story. How are you doing today, Megan? I'm so good, Phil. How are you? I'm uh, great. You're uh, coming to us from Santa Monica, you were saying, right, down the road?
1: Yes, Santa Monica, California. It is currently, I'm staring out the window. It's a little bit, you know, overcast, but um, (laughs) it's going to go away because it's early in the morning, but
0: yeah. Good and old it's Santa Monica.
1: I've been here for a long time.
0: <laughs> yeah, cool. But, you know, did you grow up in that area? or Because I, I was listening to your TED talk. You're talking about, I think you said Oakland Airport, which is up north.
1: <laughs> yes. So I actually have lived in Santa Monica, West LA for about five and a half years. But I grew up in a little suburban town called Lafayette. Mm -hmm. It is east of San Francisco, east of Oakland. It's by Walnut Creek, East Bay Area. And so, yes, so I was born and raised in Lafayette. And then after high school, I moved down to L.A. and I've been here ever since.
0: Wow. Yeah, I know the Bay Area. I I lived up there. In fact, my dad grew up there uh, in San Leandro. Uh, oh yeah right next to oakland (laughs) so the airport's like 10 minutes from from his house there but in any case cool cool so santa monica yeah i was living in woodland hills for a while now we're in vegas as most of our audience knows uh so oh my gosh (laughs) yeah not a lot going on yet in vegas but they are opening up casinos for some reason and uh (laughs) for better or worse Hopefully things uh, improve. (laughs) Good old
1: casinos. You know, when in doubt in a quarantine, I think that's the one thing, the first thing people would want open is a quarantine. I mean, a casino.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I'm not much of a gambler, but people do what they do. And speaking of quarantine and the fact that now, Megan, for our audience, uh, and of course, you've probably already listened to our intro if you're listening to this. Megan uh, does a lot related to anxiety. Is this a topic that you think is probably been exacerbated probably by this quarantine and this uh, this whole shutdown situation with the virus, and people may be listening to this in five years, or hopefully this is cleaned up much sooner than that, so they'd be like, What are they talking about? but um, what are your thoughts on that as we jump in with some of the things you do uh, and I know that you've struggled with anxiety in your life. What are your thoughts related to this quarantine and how, how people are dealing or how people can deal with it best
1: Yes so I for sure think this quarantine has um, just maximized and just triggered people to another level because in my opinion, this quarantine is, you know, just, it's like a worst case scenario fear that a lot of people have Um, just like a pandemic, you know, like the movie The Purge or um, like just these, you know, like, I don't even know like the movie. 2012, where it's just like the world ends and then, Mm -hmm. you know, the grocery stores run out of food and the banks close and it's like total catastrophe apocalypse. And I think it's just really important to remember whatever situation you are going through in your life, whether it is a pandemic, it's, you know, something with the government, it's the economy, or it's just a bad breakup, or you just, you feel like you're in a funk, it's really 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 important to remember you can apply the same exact tools to every situation and you know you can still do eft tapping and meditate and write down a list especially with this pandemic you know so much is out of our like individual control like you know mm-hmm. yes we can all wash our hands and wear masks and sanitize and you know clean more and be more sympathetic and just have more empathy and compassion. Um, But you know, a lot of it is just out of our, once again, our little control. A lot of it is up to the president and the government. And so I think it's important to remember anxiety is really a fear of losing control. It's a fear of you don't have control over a situation. So you, your mind starts thinking, what if what if what if what if so it's important to just you know make literally a list on a piece of paper a list of what i can control versus what i cannot control and just take it back to the basics because you know thankfully things are changing and they're um in a better place but it's just you know having that tool belt for your whole life and that's why i am really passionate about speaking at schools because I want to set up teenagers for real life, you know, Mm -hmm. real life scenarios where you can, you know, turn 25, 30, 35, 40, and all of a sudden be like, whoa, you know, I'm not happy. And it feels like this is the first time in your whole life that you've just checked in with yourself. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, you know, I'm dating this person. I'm married to this person, or I've been in this job in this like cubicle for, you know, the last, nine years and all of a sudden i'm not happy and it freaks me out because i don't know what to do like i don't know how to dig myself out of this ditch if you will and so i want to teach teenagers how to trust their gut feelings how to calm themselves down if they're having a panic attack Mm -hmm. and how to just you know have long-term healthy success not just you know burn yourself out to get like this unrealistically high GPA and then and then what you know like i want to give them the tools that are just going to set them up for like you know it's a marathon it's not this hardcore sprint for 4 years and then you know you're done and you've made it that's not life like we have we have a
0: while to go <laughs> no yeah well, I mean, especially you—you're—you're you're pretty young. You just opened a whole Pandora's box of topics that we're going to have to jump into. I know. Um, but now how, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you?
1: I just turned twenty-four.
0: Twenty-four, youngster. I, I'm about to turn forty myself in August. But you're a youngster focus.
1: too. I—I I just yeah. feel like age is just a number. I don't it even is. believe in age.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, well, it is a deep topic, this whole thing of time and age and years and rotating around the sun and all that stuff. Um, I've got two boys myself, 10 and eight. And I feel like these topics, yeah, these topics will apply as I watch them blossom, especially my 10 year olds about to go into middle school. And uh, I think about and I look at your TED talk. um, Thankfully for me, I didn't really deal with anxiety per se. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it seems to me and I'd like to hear a little bit more about your background and story if you don't mind too but yeah. as we get into that is this something that uh, that tends to happen more with girls and women uh, at least my experience from a distance and very non-expert is maybe that's the case with a big all caps with maybe uh, <laughs> um, but t- <laughs> tell me your story and let's talk about that and I don't know about the gender part but go ahead
1: Yes. So for me, I have had a long relationship, a long, healthy, you know, long distance relationship with um, anxiety and specifically anticipatory anxiety and panic attacks. And, you know, growing up as young as just three years old, my parents, you know, told me and in every home family movie that we have on DVDs in my parents' house, you know, it's like the camera. Or a pants to Megan, and I'm just always crying, and I always mm. want my mom and so I think the signs you know it's I mean it's hard to tell like when you know someone's like a toddler and they just cry and they want their parent and they don't want to be around crowds or large groups of people, but my my parents had a pretty good idea; they knew that I was always the anxious child who you know who needed just extra attention. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, every like each child can be very, very different and that is good. And that is fully okay. And so they just, you know, took note of like, okay, Megan's more sensitive. And then as I got older, elementary school, my anxiety... Just manifested itself by I would cry before sleepovers, you know, school field trips to like <laughs> the Jelly Belly factory or um, to Jamba Juice, you know, mm. for like two hours. I would cry and I would start getting upset. Basically, if anything involved, you know, a, a flight, a car ride, anything where I could get car car sick or just I didn't have control and I think that's why a lot of people have a fear of flying it's because you don't have control over the outcome because you're not in you know the pilot seat you're just mm-hmm. a passenger so to me you know I would have these freakouts before like well like the day before the night before this event because my mind, I felt like I couldn't control it. I felt like it was like clockwork and I, you know, was, was destined. I had to freak out and I had to do, you know, the whole, like the whole shebang and I had to get upset and cry and then talk to my parents and then be Mm -hmm. calmed down. And then, but it wasn't until, you know, middle school, my anxiety was pretty just, it didn't really exist, but then freshman year of high school, it reared back up and it was, so strong. And, you know, at 14, you're also going through puberty, your body is changing Mm -hmm. physically, emotionally, hormonally. And I just remember freshman year, I was like, what is happening? I had no idea. And I never had even heard of the word anxiety. So I thought, I was literally having a stroke every day in class or Mm. a heart attack or like a brain aneurysm because, you know, once again, the, the symptoms, anxiety can make you feel, it's just, you know, it's like 300 different things. Like it's, you can get a headache, you can get pins and needles feeling you it's, it's so it can mimic so many other things. And it it was just so scary because I would, you know, just try to sit in class and pay attention to what my teacher was teaching that day or try to, you know, focus on this test. But then I felt like this looming monster, like this dark cloud come over and it was like, you know, Megan, it's 10 a.m. And yesterday at 10 a.m. you felt this way. So it's, and I, I just, I can't express enough the feeling of, I felt like, I, you know, had given the keys of my car. Like the, I had felt like I was just this prisoner of my own mind. And I felt like I was like a puppet being controlled by something else. Like I, Mm -hmm. I kind of forgot that this is my mind creating these thoughts every single day. And I have control, I have power and like, I need to remember who's in control here because you know, I can't live my life and no one should live their life just thinking, oh gosh, well, you know, yesterday went this way. So that's no way to live life. And that's, you should never think, oh, oh," you know, just, it runs in my family. So it's, you know, it's the cards I was dealt and I have to accept that this is my fate, but it's like, you can create any life you want and you can work on yourself and change, you know, just whatever hereditary that you inherited it or like to me, I don't get anxiety anymore, really. And it's just something that I put in a lot of
0: work to heal. Yeah. And I think emphasis on that last word work, four letter word. (laughs) Um, But yes, that's uh, a lot of great points and story. And I thank you for opening up some of that vulnerability there because um, that's something that a lot of people would just kind of keep to themselves. People might be embarrassed about it. And certainly anxiety has probably existed forever. Um, I, I wonder, uh, obviously you and I kind of grew up at different times. I was a teenager in the nineties. So mm-hmm. um, the internet was just barely, you know, b- born <laughs> in the nineties and we had dial up and it wasn't smartphones and, and YouTube and things like that. It was AOL. <laughs> and uh, very simple HTML websites for CNN or, you know, Southwest Airlines and Amazon started a very simple <laughs> website. Right. So uh, and so I'm just referring to the Internet. But do you think there's any uh, I don't know if you've thought of or analyzed this. Are, are there any factors that have to do with some of the changing times technologically? Um, I, because what I'm seeing and hearing and feeling as I observe and obviously I have bested interest because I have kids uh kids are isolate themselves a lot more we used to go outside more we used to ride our bikes more and and I'm not trying to talk yes. down to anything either I'm just saying that's what we did and I don't know if those things probably helped because we're out getting exercise and fresh air but what, what are your thoughts on that as far as the difference in the generations because again you and I come from a little bit different era
1: <laughs> yeah I, I really I agree Phil I mean I think in today's current society um not just with like quarantine what's going on, but just, you know, the last decade, I really think that teenagers isolate themselves more. And I think everyone, it's just the social media is so big yeah and it's so popular and it's a trend. And I think, you know, making TikTok videos versus, you know, the traditional, like, I'm going to go, you know, build a tree fort with my neighbors or I'm going to go like play in the Creek. I mean, it's just a different world. And it, you know, it's, It's okay, but I also think it's important for parents and for teenagers to realize what they're, you know, what they can handle because, you know, just because your friends stay up till 1am watching Netflix doesn't mean you should, Um, and everyone is different, and everyone has different needs and things that they can handle, and some people, you know, can't handle scrolling on Instagram for three hours without feeling really triggered and really not good enough. And all of a sudden, you know, like if you were to wake up in the morning and you're like, today's going to be the best day ever. And then you reach for your phone and you start scrolling and you're like, and you just notice all of a sudden, wow, I feel like I'm missing out. You know, the, the FOMO, I feel like, wow, I'm, I, oh, I don't look like that. I, oh, I should get a six pack. It's like, you know, you start doing this because you're seeing pictures of other people, but it's like, I mean, you don't even realize one, those pictures could be two years old (laughs) and that's the truth Two, like, you have no idea unless you've met the person you're following and you've hung out with them for like 24 hours and like, you really know their real life and like just the real situation, the real deal, you shouldn't make a judgment or compare yourself because it's a waste of time. And, you know, it's just important for teenagers to really realize just to take it with a grain of salt um social media there's a lot of filters in photoshop and a lot of people are using it just to build their brand you know so they're so they are going to use the best picture the most aesthetic you know pretty looking bright pop color um just best picture where their teeth look the most white because yeah. you know in just like a creative um, entrepreneurial social media influencer world, you know, that, that picture is going to get the most likes. So they are going to use it, but it's just important. I think teenagers are just, you know, sensitive and they're like sponges and they absorb whatever is around them. So like for me, when I speak at schools, I really like to just make it very real that, you know, this isn't real life. It's like an iceberg, you see the 10% above the water But there's this whole other 90%
0: that,
1: you know, you just, you have no idea what that person is really like, or, you know, how much money they really do make, or if they are even happy because, you know, someone could smile and, you know, look pretty, but they could also, you know, be depressed. And like, that's one thing I like to remind the teenagers, please never, you know, scroll on my Instagram feed and think, oh, well, Megan has, because I struggle every day with anxiety. It's still a thing that I have Mm -hmm. to work on my whole entire life. Um, and it's, to me, sometimes it feels like chasing around like a toddler, you know, it's exhausting and trying Mm -hmm. to control my mind and pull it back in and, um, go about my day. But I just, I like to just, you know, really tell teenagers the reality of, you know, this isn't real life and just like the kind of the media marketing world behind it and the fact that, um, you know, they should just, they should just have a healthy balance. Like, I don't think we're going to go back to the seventies where, you know, people like are, I don't know, just like that time, but it's just having a balance of, you know, I want to be in nature right now and kind of just listening to your body.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's all excellent points. I didn't even mention social media in my little list a minute ago, but <laughs> uh, and for the record, for some of the folks who may not know, FOMO means fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, oh yeah, FOMO um, is real. <laughs> and yeah, FOMO's and YOLO is you only live once, and all these there's all these little acronyms that have come about. There's always been acronyms, but there's more of them now, and there's all these little cute things people say, and a lot, a lot of it drives the point home of of you are missing out, you're not enough. Uh, Mm -hmm. You do only live once. So you better step up and be out uh, skydiving every day or (laughs) something to something similar. And and so it it leaves people feeling uh, less. And I will point out, too, I mean, my ex-wife, mother of my kids, um, she got into this is one of the reasons we were in L.A. She did makeup and fashion and things like that. And so I kind of delved into that culture a little bit. And I saw the social media. I saw the Instagram accounts. Um, I won't name any by name here, but you know right. what they are, fashion oh, related stuff and makeup. And women can be very catty or there'll be some picture that's clearly very Photoshopped or just, just kind of a crazy picture of a girl. And then I look down at the comments and it would be, oh, thank you for making me feel bad about myself today. And I shouldn't right. even laugh. Like, it's just, why are we living like this? And there's some satisfaction I think some get in making others feel bad where it almost lifts them up because they already feel bad. It's like this vicious cycle, isn't it? Uh, Yeah,
1: I agree. I think there's a lot of just kind of like one-upping each other. And I think, you know, it's like who can post the best, you know, like craziest, most, I don't even know, to get the most likes. I think a lot of people, I think this is in every industry, um, not just beauty and fashion influencers, but also like the spiritual wellness people. I think like, yes, you know, they're positive and they can like, have good intentions, but I also think, like, there's, of course, there's this, like, you know, I want to have the most followers, and I want to, like, you know, be the best.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I wonder, as we talk about this, too, is there a way or, you know, some suggestions as far as perhaps framing, we use the word framing in the self-help realm, uh, framing social media properly, because like you said earlier, um, essentially, the bottom line is, it's not real life. There's some aspects of it that reflect some real life, but it's also polished, uh, mm-hmm. photoshopped. The fo- photos might be five years old or whatever. Um, do you have any suggestions as people look at social media to think, oh, in the back of their mind, this is this. It's not. It's not something you need to feel bad about, especially from a woman's standpoint. Um, yes. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> I I think one keep in mind just. The little thing that helps me is anytime I feel triggered, I, I just one take note of, you know, okay. So this person, maybe when I saw their picture, I feel triggered, but you know, it has nothing to do with them. Like I'm going to take some responsibility and realize I am triggered and I'm going to figure out why. Maybe it's because, you know, they have a six pack or they like have tan skin and I'm pay like whatever it is about them and that specific picture that triggered me, I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to take some responsibility and realize that it's really not their fault. And I'm going to, you know, focus on why I'm feeling this way because when I, you know, give my control and my feelings up to someone else, that's never going to solve anything. So you have to realize why do you feel this way and why, why is it triggering you so much and kind of get to that root. I also think to take note of once again, have I met this person in real life before I make a judgment? Have I met them in real life? Have I like, you know, seen what kind of car they drive, where they live, how much money they really make or, you know, just like, have I hung out with them for like 24 hours? And do I really, really know, are they a really happy person? Because you just, you shouldn't, you know, because then once again, your your mind is just left to just kind of wander and like, you know, just dwell and ponder for like, you know, five hours. And that's just not helpful because, like, how is that going to give you any closure if you're just like, well, I don't know, because you're not getting to any conclusion and you're not solving any problems. So, I think just keeping those things in mind is really, really powerful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. I, and as I think about social media, also, one question maybe to ask ourselves is what's our end game of scrolling? Um, because I, right. I look at, and I'm putting together some time management stuff right now, and I look at all the things out there, and there's some, some things that measure how much time you spend doing this or that, at least on an electronic device. And people are shocked to realize, Oh, I spent five hours on uh, social media today. And so again, ask ourselves, what's our end game? Are we trying to escape something? Are we trying to escape real life. Uh, And I, and I realize right now, at least in the last little while, people have been cooped up a bit. So um, no one needs to be made to feel bad ever um, about who they are, what they are, or necessarily what they're doing but maybe questioning how can I do this better to get the most effective results in my life and is scrolling for five hours or even half an hour necessary? Or, or maybe, uh, my thought is maybe just kind of pick your closest people in your life and scroll and see their stuff. And that'll be a much shorter scroll anyway.
1: Yeah, no, that's <laughs> These are what I people feel. you know, in real life. Yes. That's what I feel too. You know, it's like, just focus on like, just you know, kind of f- fill out that survey in your head, like do that questionnaire. Have I met them in real life? Do I really know what, because the- I have had <laughs> many moments where I, you know, go to a networking event in LA or I run into like, you know, influencers in real life. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. I have had many moments where I meet them and I'm like, wow. Like you, (laughs) I mean, yes, you look like your photos, so that's good. But I mean, your personality, like, it does not, like, I would not think that you are, you know, this shy or it's, it's a very interesting world. And I think it's just, people (laughs) need to remember they are just people like they're they're just people. And yes you know, having a lot of followers, of course it triggers that dopamine and you feel awesome. And it's like that high of all the likes and the comments and the, of course it's fun. And it's fun to like showcase your life, of course. And it's fun to communicate with people. But, um, I also just want people to remember that their mental well-being has to come first. And if following like, you know, me or Oprah Winfrey or anyone, you don't, have to, you know, justify or explain to someone or be like, well, really this person, if it doesn't make you feel like you're, you know, where you're supposed to be, or it doesn't make you feel like you're doing the right thing in your life, then unfollow that person or block them or, you know, just unsubscribe. Because once again, like you just, we should be more mindful about what we believe we have to like watch or keep up with because, just because it makes someone else feel good doesn't mean it's going to make you feel good.
0: Right, right. Excellent points. Again, I lived in L.A. I've gotten to know some famous people, uh, or met them, or ran into them, or whatever mm-hmm. in various degrees. Same thing. And and so did you know my ex-wife? You know, lots of folks from Paris Hilton to not to name-drop, yeah. but all <laughs> these people. And they're just they're people, and it's it's worth questioning what that means you know as people we all breathe air we eat we sleep we do all the same life things and we a lot of us have similar fears and struggles or uh all all kinds of things about us so this whole i I, on one hand i do appreciate what social media does is it, it, it in some ways it does bring some of these people to a place of more human from when i grew up it was there wasn't access like that it was okay you had to if you want to see celebrities you had to watch entertainment tonight on tv Mm -hmm. and use your vcr to record it (laughs) or uh, things like that but they get to share they're swimming in their pool or they're out with their kids or whatever they do Um, but yeah if they're doing things i agree with you if they're doing and posting things or any of these fashion or anything that make you feel bad maybe it's a good idea to ask yourself should i even follow this uh, if it's or reframe it as well there's kind of two sides of that coin isn't there
1: yes I think also just to like to me the the big thing I often feel like following you know certain people it just makes me start questioning is this where I'm supposed to be at 24 you know like is my career am I on time am I what if I what if I what if I like you yes. know so I think to <laughs> me that's a trigger for me of following certain people who, you know, I feel like they're farther along than me or that just, it starts second. It starts like, it makes me second guess my own journey and where I am. So to me, I'm like, eh, the moment I start feeling those things, I'm like, "Mm, no, I can't, I can't do this. I, this doesn't make me feel good about myself. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to follow someone who's like, you know, just posting pictures with like, on a yacht, you know, I'm with this, like on a, you know, to me, it's like, I want substance, but I also want to follow people that make me feel like, you know, I am where I'm supposed to be. And I'm, you know, just that kind of a thing that just make me feel like good about myself and like, oh my gosh, like, look at how much I have accomplished rather than going down the spiral rabbit hole of, oh my gosh, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's, yeah, instead of letting yourself get bulldozed by what social media may, might make you naturally feel, it mm-hmm. sounds like the core of what you're saying is being self-aware of your feelings and yes. making proactive choices accordingly. Uh, and, and and one thing, and I don't mean to shift gears here, we might come back to this here in a minute, yeah. but you mentioned earlier, your parents said, oh, she's the anxious child. Do you have any siblings, if you don't mind me asking? Or
1: Yes, I have one older sister. She is... She just turned 28 and I'm 24 and growing up, you know, she, she was never anxious. Like we're, we're very like, we are polar opposites. (laughs) Like Uh we are, we are day and night, um, just polar, polar opposites. And, you know, it's just funny because I was, I I mean, I still am like, you know, the total like um, overthinker, like, Um, high functioning anxiety person. Like I want to, you know, get like 4,000 things done in one day, and that will make me feel satisfied. (laughs) And I mean, it's just funny, because we are so opposite. But, you know, she never really got that gene or whatever it is the way that my mind is wired, or, you know, she never really had that.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, it's funny how kids can be so different, even my own kids, you know, uh, one of them's really into building and Legos and really what you might call left brain and is even left handed. Uh, but and then the other <laughs> one's right handed and more creative and other things, you know, and if my kids are listening, love you. I'm not pigeonholing you or yeah. telling you what you are, but I, I see the differences. And any parent can say that if you've got more than one kid, mm-hmm. of one is this way and the others or whatever or this or that way and uh, we just love them all the same. And that, that's a whole big topic we can talk about too. But I'm not gonna get into that right now. Um, but love <laughs> your kids. If you loving kids your
1: children there. the way that they are. I, w- I can't wait to have kids one day. I mean, I'm yeah. not in the place right now. But I mean, I can't wait to have like, like, I have this dream of like having, like, I always growing up, I almost have one sibling but I always wanted like a huge like Brady Bunch like fun you know living on like a farmer ranch and just having kids like <laughs> running around half naked like I just love that energy <laughs> and like a bunch of animals and chickens and like a farm so I can't wait to have that one day. <laughs> it
0: seems like that would uh at least on the surface might feed into anxiety living like that but at the That's same true, time <laughs> but
1: I thrive like I, th- I thrive in those situations I think I put yeah. myself in the
0: yeah well and on that topic do you have any thoughts even though of course you're not a parent as of yet but any thoughts for parents as they raise teenagers again i'm you know for me personally my kids will be teenagers before i know it and uh they're you know it's not that the teenage moment is when it matters because it could matter now elementary and middle school and stuff right but what thoughts do you have for parents as far as being involved loving kids uh being maybe more patient with kids maybe regulating screen time uh, you know like I have this thing where my son really wants a phone all these kids at school in fifth grade have phones like oh we did, back in the 90s kids had sometimes they had pagers <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and then it was like oh is he a drug dealer and oh uh, you, you couldn't have them in high school it's weird I'd love to take you back in a DeLorean and time machine and see what we're I love that.
1: Um, Uh,
0: So, yeah, so I don't want to necessarily the screen time, but anyway, I've opened all these topics. What are your thoughts from the parent perspective?
1: Well, I think one, just if you are a parent, I think just acknowledging that like it is, I mean, not I just don't like using the word okay. Like it's totally good that if you have children and you know, like you notice that one is you know, like they're just different, that is totally good. And that is how it's supposed to be. And it's good that they aren't the exact same. And I think it's also good to just be, you know, like a present proactive parent. And just to notice, you know, when you feel like just to show up in their life, like not just physically, but emotionally and really, you know, when they come home from school, just ask them, like, don't, you know, be like sending emails and just kind of like, you know, half, like halfway in your work, but actually like sit with them, look them in the eyes, take them out to ice cream, like do something and just say like, Hey, you know, how's your day going? How, like, how are you, how are you feeling? How's your friend group? And I think also, you know, there is a fine balance of, you know, being the parent and just maintaining that like role of, you know i'm not going to be your best friend and be like oh my gosh did you like get drunk last like no like you're the parent so yeah. but i also think just letting them know and showing them in the conversation that they can come to you for advice and and they can feel comfortable opening up to you because i think you know teenagers it's already awkward going through puberty and you know dealing with you know, your first relationship and dating a guy and prom and your body changing. That's already really awkward. And Mm -hmm. I think as a parent, it's just really noticing how your child communicates and how your teenager communicates and, you know, not their love language, but just their, their communication style. And I think also just really, once again, making a note of if you have that like kind of like parent just intuition gut feeling that you think something is off with your teenager or you know five months ago they were like an A plus student and they like were so outgoing super social and Mm. they wanted to you know join the cheerleading team and they were like putting themselves out there and just like kind of you know really just thriving and then all of a sudden you notice they kind of like start ditching class or their grades are slipping or their eating habits like are kind of different and they're going to bed at different times or you know they're hanging out with a different friend group. Like just just making note of all of these things and you know not not jumping to the conclusion of like, are you doing drugs? Are you like we need to send you away but just you know making note of Okay. All these things are going to affect someone's well-being and how they are in their life. And, you know, just making note of like, Hey, are you okay? Like, you know, if you feel like your teenager is kind of lashing out or, you know, it's like, is it Sally just being Sally? Or is it, you know, is it something else? It it could be a mental health issue. It could be a self-esteem issue. It could be them they're dating someone who's not really, you know, the best person, like a negative influence. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they could be getting into like some negative habits. They could be hanging around the wrong crowd. So I think to me, like the number one thing that helped me was because when I was 14 and I sat my parents down and I asked for help, I said, you know, mom, dad, I, I have these episodes throughout the day and I'm feeling X, Y, Z, please help me. I need help. And I'm admitting to you guys that Mike, like, I, I know something is off and I I need he- extra help. You know, I can't do this on my own. And so they put me in therapy. And I think that just them taking such quick action was just so awesome. You know, they, they didn't say, Megan, just suck it up, get through it. You know, think like you're, it's just a phase. Like they just, they stopped and they were like, okay, you're going into therapy next week. And I think parents need to acknowledge when there could be a potential problem on the horizon or a red flag or your child is crying for help. And you know, in a way that they're lashing out at you or you wouldn't really at first think it's like, is this a cry for help? You know, does my child have depression or anxiety or body dysmorphia or an eating disorder? It's just, you got to take action.
0: Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. That's uh and I've, and I've read and listened to some parenting books, uh, Parenting with Love and Logic, Scream-Free Parenting. Um, and a lot of those books center around the idea of raising kids such that they can make their own decisions in a healthy manner. It's mm-hmm. not, And they, they use the term helicopter parents. So some of what you're saying, there's a fine line, obviously, between overdoing it and yes. kind of just being there for your child and helping. And when, when they're little, it's as simple as, you know, if they say, oh, I want to have cake for dinner, you can say, oh, you <laughs> could have cake for dinner, but this is what would happen and you won't be able to play tomorrow or whatever. Like, it, right. Or you can have this other healthy meal instead or whatever the opportunity is on the table. And and, given, and I've told my kids and some people might disagree with this, but I've gone so far as to say, you can go do anything with your life. You could go kill people and be a drug dealer or anything. I yeah. can't stop you from that. And but I'm going to tell you, if you make those choices, you're going to have a very hard and probably much shorter life and probably not find the happiness and joy that you seek. And so it's, it's like being clear with you can do this or you can do this. And from yes. my life experience, having lived a little bit longer, these would be the the consequences and consequences aren't just bad. It's anything good or bad. The consequences could be, you know, you get better grades or you end up in jail or whatever. Those, it's all consequences. Um, mm-hmm go
1: ahead. And I, I mean, I was going to say, I actually love that you say that to your teenagers. I mean, like not about the serial killer part, but like, I just, I love that you're so honest though, because that's what teenagers need. And that's what teenagers want. You know, all the schools that I speak at teenagers are like, you know, it kind of bugs us when we, you know, get into health ed or sex ed or a class where, you know, it's like time to have grown up conversations yet, It's just these, it's like these, you know, these courses that haven't changed since like the eighties and it's so (laughs) outdated and the terms and the words you use, you're like, what, what does this word mean? And I also think, you know, like when these, uh, when these kind of, you know, teachers and assembly style workshop people come in and they just, you know, I remember personally for me, when I was in high school, I remember vividly you know, sex ed class, it was so basic and it lasted literally, you know, like one week. And I after it, I was like, you know, <laughs> I don't think I learned anything new and I don't think I retained anything. And it's just the way that they went about it was so, you know, like just, I don't know, they treated us like we were five years old and that. Oh, you can't use that word. You have to, you know, you call it, your like fufu and fifi and haha and all these like weird, you know, just like childish terms. And that's <laughs> what teenagers need though. They, they want like authenticity. And I think, yes. you know, like talking about what you said of like, you could, you can do whatever you want in your life. And that is a reality. And just, you know, making the, the consequences known of you can, you could drink alcohol, you could, you know, smoke weed, you could do these things, but there are consequences and side effects and a ripple effect to every single thing. But it's so helpful because I think when you do talk about something, you're letting the teenager know that, you know, it's not this like forbidden taboo topic that they kind of want to try because it's like forbidden. And it's like opening up, you know, what we said earlier, like Pandora's box where it's like, Oh my gosh, I'm breaking so many rules. But when you take away its power and you're like, it's, you know, it's just this, it's just that. It's I think teenagers are like, oh, you know, so it's not as like, I don't know, just it does it kind of takes away that like appeal.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I and this is what I've read too. I mean, I read a whole bunch of stuff about what kids and especially teenagers uh, would like to say to their parents that they don't mm-hmm. and a lot of it was a lot of what you just said and thank you for being clear and honest and I was a teenager once upon a time too so I know I grew up in a single parent home it was just me and my dad so it's kind of a unique thing um, that way I mean my brother was there for a little while but it's another story for another day yeah. Um, but yeah I, I and I feel very strongly that kids I don't, and I don't want to say kids in any sort of condescending way. I'm just saying you young people out there yes. need to feel like we love, trust, and are authentic with you. And one mm-hmm. of the things I heard a long time ago that stuck with me that I've tried to incorporate as a, as a dad of boys in particular is that they need to hear, yes, you're clear about consequences and stuff, but it's not just this disciplinarian thing all the time. You need, they need to hear, I believe in you. I trust you. I know you're going to do your best to make the right choices. Yes. And I, and I just, I just think parents really need to, and it's, and it's simple as saying that took me two seconds to say, saying that can stick with them throughout their whole lives and saying, I love you as well. Some of us dads in particular and moms too sometimes have a hard time. Like, why would you, if your kid, something awful happened to them, you're going to wish you said, I love you. And I want to get all emotional, but, mm-hmm. and I can tell quickly a story when my dad grew up, he was born in 1947, baby boomer. Wow. And his dad was born in 1919 and was in world war II and all these things. And they didn't even understand PTSD. They didn't even have that term back then, or, or they didn't understand depression. But my dad tells me his dad, never, literally just about never said, I love you. And then later in life, my grandfather, his father had a stroke and, uh, there are other things that happened, but he, on the phone, he said, uh, my dad said to him, I love you. And his dad said back, uh, you know, I love you, son. And when my dad tells that story, he gets emotional every time because he needed that for, I don't know, by that point, 50 to 60 years of his life. Mm -hmm. And now my dad's almost 73 and I'm just throwing out food for thought. I'm not trying to beat anybody up. That's what this is all about. When it comes to kids, you young people in particular, they need to be made to feel loved, appreciated, valued, trusted. I believe in you. And we raise them. Uh, kind of with that we use the word frame with that frame of of mind for themselves too i don't have a question in there i'm just pointing some (laughs) some stuff out from my own life experience
1: it's it's so powerful phil and it's you know i feel the same way like that's that's such a crazy story because i have such a parallel to that um my dad his dad you know was world war ii like just you know blue collar kind of that baby boomer generation where you just like didn't show emotion or like affection and I remember towards the end of my dad's dad, we called him Papa, Um, my grandfather, he, you know, towards the end of his life, he, 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 you know, he just like, he started saying like, I love you. And he would like give him a handshake and just started showing his affection more. And I vividly remember visiting him at his retirement home and just noticing that. And I think it is just so powerful also just to make note of like how far we've come as a society to, you know like 50 years ago, 60 years ago, you know, no one talked about like what you said, no one talked about anxiety or PTSD or bipolar or depression or, Mm. um, you know, body dysmorphia or suicide or like it was just so you don't talk about that, like that's a sign of weakness. But, you know, when we do open up and kind of like, you know, pull the rug out and really go into like, digging deeper, that actually is where the healing happens instead Mm -hmm. of avoiding it or thinking it's this big, scary monster. It's like, let's take away its power and realize, you know, a lot of people suffer and deal and cope and live with, and they're normal people. You know, they have a job, they have a family, they have a wife and kids and like they make money. But a lot of people have like daily chronic, you know, negative thinking or racing thoughts or I don't know. So it's just, I love that though. It's like, you know, just opening up the conversation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's right. It's, it's kind of a thing of lead with love and that's just whatever that all means, but it's, it's showing all those things we just talked about. And, and I feel like we could talk about that for hours and hours and get really deep, but we won't. For
1: I know, today. I know.
0: But yeah, I just, I it, like when I was a kid, there was no school shootings. There yeah. was, there was obviously no smartphones. We touched on all this stuff. And I just, I feel like this is, I saw someone read a study about kids and the things that they felt like were lacking in their lives, uh, teenagers, young people. And uh, one of the, the, the number one thing that they felt like was that they were unsure of or believed that their parents didn't love them or unsure of whether they loved them. And so mm-hmm. that's just something, let's all keep that in mind as we move forward here. I want to touch on a few more things too, because in the interest of time, but uh, we've left some good thoughts in the air here um, <laughs> with that topic. <laughs> when, when it comes to overcoming this, you've got a lot of things that you've, you've talked about, everything now, you mentioned earlier EFT tapping. I honestly don't know what that is. Meditation, I've done some of that. Exercise. We all <gasps> you don't know what, know what EFT
1: is. tapping is?
0: I, I think I've heard the term, but I, it, I'm not connecting it with something in my brain at the moment. <laughs> so what are some of the things, including EFT tapping, that people can do? And again, I've never really dealt with anxiety, thank goodness. I've dealt with some yeah. of my own things, but Talk to me about these solutions. What are some of these solutions and EFT tapping? Oh my gosh,
1: Phil. Well, I mean, do you have four more hours? <laughs> because yeah, I, do. I could whip out my scroll. Literally, it could, like, I could pull it out of my pocket and it would go about to Timbuktu. I literally have so many tips <laughs> up my sleeve. So EFT tapping is stands for emotional freedom technique. And it's really powerful because basically, you know, we as humans can store emotions in our bodies. So if we go through a traumatic event, um, near death incident, just, you know, witnessing something traumatic in our brain kind of puts on that fight or flight mode and can't, and it can't really process it. And we kind of hold on to that and harbor that or same with panic attacks. Um, EFT tapping is a really great way to basically similar to acupuncture puncture where, you know, they're putting the needles in certain kind of energy meridian lines throughout your body. Mm. So EFT tapping, you know, if <laughs> I, it's hard to like kind of talk because I like, it's really visual cause you're tapping on your body, but basically you start by tapping kind of, it's called the karate chop point on the side of your hand, like where your pinky finger is that side of your hand, mm-hmm. you start tapping with your other hand. And you just, you start off by saying, even though, so let's say, and I, I love EFT tapping because I can apply it to anything in my life. So like, I would say, even though, um, you know, like, uh, even though what my sister said really bothered me, even though, and you, you start off negative and then you get to positive. So You start off, even though what my sister said annoyed me, and then you kind of do one round, it's called. So then you go from karate chop to the side right above your eyebrow, and then you go to your temple, and you just do it over and over. And you say say that one thing over and over again. And then once you've done like one whole cycle of going karate chop point for like 10 seconds, and then right above your eyebrow, Mm -hmm. your temple under your eye, um, between your nose and your upper lip, that point, and then your chin and then your collarbone. And then on the top of your head, that's like one cycle of tapping. And then wow. the next cycle you start, you start by saying, um, you know, even though it bothered me, but I also know that, you know, we have a different sense of humor or mm-hmm. I know that we, we view the world differently. Yeah. And that's okay. And I know, like, so you basically, you're getting to the root of like actual solutions and you're kind of helping your brain come up with like a positive replacement thought. So you don't have to feel so, you know, like, oh gosh, this problem is bigger than me. And, like you're being swallowed by a wave in the ocean. Like this EFT tapping actually allows you to you know, kind of just take away its power and just like pull the plug and you're like wait it's, it's not this like scary you know it's not as big as I thought it
0: was yeah, thank you for explaining that that's uh, that's very interesting um, and it sounds like a lot of what you're doing outside of what the tapping itself does is expanding your mind in that moment to a bigger picture of reality of we think differently or whatever the situation is mm-hmm. uh, to to embrace that bigger picture and and see it accordingly. A lot of what we're talking about today is reframing things too, and and some yeah. of the other things: meditation, journaling, exercise, um, anything else you want to touch on that that help and have helped you <laughs> as you've overcome yeah. a lot of this. Oh my gosh
1: i I love um I love I love hypnotherapy. I love um, EFT tapping. I love listening to a guided meditation. You know, if I feel just you know i don't know not my best self and i think i'm i think i'm such a self aware person after you know doing so much introspective work for so long that to me you know my energy levels and my mood is like a thermometer it's like a you know it's kind of a gas mileage thing it's like a dial where i can tell when i'm in a good place when i'm in my normal you know zone of feeling my best i can tell versus when it's off like i just know it and i can feel it in my body and the way i'm thinking so I love listening to, you know, a quick guided meditation on YouTube. I also, one, now at 24, something I didn't do when I was younger, but now I'm obsessed with it. I love breath work. I love Mm. deep breathing. And it's, you, you can Google it like Wim Hof, the Wim Hof method. There's so many different styles of deep, you know, breathing, but it really, really, really helps. Like that to me I'll lie on a yoga mat and just kind of really push out my stomach, like over exaggerating and just do this like diaphragmatic breathing for like 30 minutes or 10 minutes. And that to me always helps. It always makes me realize, Oh wait, you know, I'm, I'm breathing so much and so deeply that I ha- like, I have to focus on just my stomach right now and one thing only. And that helps me kind of like pull back in like oh wait it's my mind just wandered you know so I'm just gonna reel it back in and that to me the breath work helps every single time
0: (laughs) yeah that's that's great and I've done some of that myself and for those who don't know and you you pointed this out there's a lot of this stuff on all over the internet but especially on YouTube there's all kinds of guided meditations that are two minutes and two hours and so people can go find those from and there's some more well-known people like Bob Proctor and things that have some meditations on there, abundance meditations. Mm-hmm. So yeah, all that stuff. I've done some of that and I've done a lot of the breath work. So I'm going to try some of that too. So thank you. Yes. Everyone. And
1: one other thing super quickly, I just thought of, um, Whenever I'm feeling anxious and like, let's say you're driving a car, like you're on a road trip and, you know, like your options are kind of limited. Like you can't Mm -hmm. really just, you know, get out of your car, like, or you're on a flight or you're in the middle of like an interview or a Zoom, like you're in the middle of a business meeting. And let's say you start getting like the sweaty palms, the fast heart rate, the, you just feel like you need to just like get out of your own skin, that awful feeling. Yeah. The best thing to do and whether you can write this like if you're on a plane you can ask the flight attendant for like a napkin and just write on that or just label your anxiety like for me i love to just give myself a number you know one through ten. One being i'm feeling like calm as a cucumber like i just <laughs> no worries in sight and then 10 being like i'm gonna die i like i need i'm gonna blow up in five seconds so I like to give myself a number, you know, where am I at right now? Instead of, instead of feeding into the continuous spiral, you know, I'll just say like, I'm at a two, I'm at an eight, I'm at a five. And then to me saying that out loud, it's like, oh, okay. I know what, you know, I know what I can do to get, to get down to like a one.
0: Mm. So you're kind of stepping outside yourself a little bit, which is a lot of what meditation does too, but that's an interesting uh, technique. Yes. You don't want to say I'm about to blow up when you're on an airplane though. But, uh, I know.
1: Sorry. You can say I'm about <laughs> to just like burst into confetti. <laughs> no,
0: I understand. Whatever it is. Or most people have a smartphone these days. If you don't have the napkin, you can pull up a note on your phone and, and write that too, perhaps. Or, um,
1: oh, there's so many ways. Like an audio recording. I don't yeah. know. You can also just, you know, write in a magazine. I mean, like there's just, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, not, you're not alone and you're not trapped. And I think it's just, you know, taking take like peeling it back of just okay, well, if I, you know, if I'm on an airplane and I'm having a panic attack, well, you know, what are my thoughts? Like, let's, you know, open the page and kind of like take a look inside my brain because you can't also, I think people kind of forget that you can't feel good and also be thinking negatively or thinking a thousand things, you know, per second or imagine, oh my gosh, this plane is going to crash. And then we're going to, well, that's why you're not feeling good like you, you, the two and two go together. You have to be thinking good in order to feel good. So if people, you know, need like help indicating what's up and why they feel funky, it's your thoughts because your thoughts create the feelings. It's, you know, you have to make sure they're positive. They are just focused on what's going on around you. Another great thing super quickly is Mm -hmm. I love if I ever feel you know, super anxious. And I'm like, you know, nothing's working And my go-to. I will literally, and this is something I do. I talk out loud to myself sometimes. Like I'll whisper it. I'm not screaming, but like, if I'm in a grocery store and I feel anxious, I'll start just kind of like whispering to myself. And I'm like, I will label label things that are right in front of me or things that I can see. So if I feel really hmm. ungrounded and I'm not in the present moment, I'll start literally just listing off things like, like right now I would say there's a laptop, there's a microphone, you know, there's a cord, there's an outlet, there's a white couch, there's um, a candle, like start listing actual things around you. And then start saying, you know, my name is Megan Gallagher. Today is June 18th. It's nine, 10, 8. like start listing facts and yeah. actual, like what is actually happening.
0: Really good thoughts. And when it gets down to a lot of it's simple solutions, like the ones you just pointed out as well. Um, goodness gracious. I, and before we close real quick, and I know this is a topic we could go on for 10 more hours, but <laughs> body image. Yes. We talk about how to cultivate a healthy relationship with your body. And I, I always feel bad when I think about this. And I, a lot of my audience knows I grew up all boys and stuff. But I, I know girls go through, uh, boys do too, in a lot of different ways. But mm-hmm. I just feel like it's uh, to a higher degree by far with girls overall. Um, but talk to me about body image. Um, talk to me about having a healthy relationship there with our bodies. And uh, one last thing as as you give me your answer too. is there's this whole thing with, with girls with each other and they're competitive and caddy mm. and all these things. Um, how does all that play into it? And how can, how can we do better individually and collectively in our society with that?
1: Yeah. So I think body image issues. Um, <clears throat> I personally think that it stems from three different places. I think one It can either stem from, and this is if you are a boy or a girl, because as I've learned, something I was not really aware of when I was younger is that boys and men can suffer from eating disorders and body image issues just as much as females do. And so I believe body image issues and body dysmorphia, it stems from three things. One, it could be the family and the environment you grew up in. So, you know, if you grew up and let's say your, your mom or both of your parents constantly were talking about food, counting calories, you know, like dropping weight. How much did you exercise? Like, that's just what was going on all the time. Mm -hmm. You're, you're going to absorb that because your parents, those are like the first people that, you know, you look at in your life and you're like, this is what a healthy relationship is. You are absorbing, you know, their traits and their characteristics. So you know, hate, hate is learned in the household. Like people aren't really taught that in school. So same thing with, Mm. you know, unfortunately, if you're a young girl and you grow up with a mother who is, you like see her and she's standing in the mirror, like pinching her stomach and, you know, saying, oh gosh, I look so fat and all these really awful things. Unfortunately, you know, that's going to rub off on you one way or the other. And unfortunately, you're going to absorb some of that. And um, also, you know, I think body image issues stem from society. And I think that the societal pressures of what, you know, women and men are supposed to look like, or they're supposed to be like this at this age. And if they're not like this, or they haven't accomplished this, then, oh gosh, you know, they're going nowhere. But I think Mm -hmm the commercials, the entertainment industry, just this beauty standard. And I also think, um, unfortunately the trends that we are in currently with, you know, Botox and fillers and lip injections and what's in right now, because it's, it's always a trend, you know, in five years, it's going to be something different, but whether that's like getting butt implants or injections, it's, Mm -hmm. but, but society trains people to believe that, and it's just in commercials, you know, those Botox commercials where you see people like walking through a park and, you know, their day, the clouds disappear after they've gotten their injections. It's basically, you know, society tricks people into believing or, you know, just the beauty industry that once you get that filler, that injection, that Botox, that um, plastic surgery, that, you know, the boob job, once you get that, you will feel happier. You will be more complete. Your life will improve, but that's not true. And that's putting your happiness and your self-worth and your self-love into someone else's hands, like a surgeon or a doctor, which that's far from the truth. And and I also think body image issues can stem from just the way that our inner self-talk. For me personally, growing up, you know, it, those two were kind of knocked out of the park. Like I didn't grow up in a household where my parents talked about food or bodies or counting calories or, you know, obsessing over what people look like and making comments towards strangers. I, I didn't grow up that way. Um, I also didn't grow up, I grew up in a very tiny town. Um, so I didn't really grow up in a town with billboards and, you know, like that kind of stuff. So to me, my body image issues stemmed from the way that I was talking to myself and my inner dialogue. And, you know, unfortunately, um, I just, I never felt pretty when I was uh, like 11, 12, 13, 14. I I never felt pretty. I felt like I was, you know, the goofy class clown, the awkward, gangly, you know, like Pale girl with the big forehead. Like it's just, it's so sad because these are things that I would tell myself. You know, no, no one. I was never bullied. No one was coming around and, you know, at lunchtime being like Megan, the pale girl. Like <laughs> this was just me doing this to myself. And yeah, yeah. So I think it's just important to notice. One to quickly summarize that. Body image issues, body dysmorphia, eating disorders can come from three different places, in my opinion. One, it can be your household. Just notice the vocabulary, the dialogue that you grew up with. And if your family talked about food and calories and, you know, you grew up, like, with your parents being like, ooh, look at that fat person crossing the street. Like, then that's the way that you're going to talk, probably. Two, it can also come from society where you, you know, just where you grew up, but also just, you know, the, the commercials, the magazines, the billboards, the constant, you need this lipo procedure. And then you Mm. need this and the addiction to the race to nowhere of, oh, but once I get this and then this boy will like me, but it's not true. And then three, it can also Mm -hmm. just come from your own self and, you know, kind of beating yourself up about things that are out of your control.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's pretty deep stuff. And uh, aspects of it make me feel bad for a lot of people. Um, I think yeah. we, uh, most of us have some sort of struggle insecurity with our bodies uh, at various stages of life and in various ways, um, but certainly some far, far more than others. And uh, I just uh, one of the things you said about hate starts in the home. And I think to people hating themselves or not liking mm-hmm. themselves, it starts there, too. And, you know, I've always thought it'd be interesting for me as a guy who grew up with all brothers and now two boys, if I ever had a daughter. Um, you know, if I ever get remarried or whatever, but um, it seems like such a responsibility as a dad uh, to raise girls. Uh, girls look to their dads a lot for a lot of and their moms too for different yeah. things. And But to feel beautiful and to feel enough and uh, it's not my place to speak to the planet. Uh, you know, it'd be great if everyone on the planet was listening to this podcast, a lot of responsibility. But if I were speaking to the planet I would say to the women out there and the men too, but everybody—and this is, it sounds a little bit too kind of cliche, maybe—but everybody <laughs> is beautiful. Women yes. are beautiful. All the things you're talking about with you and your youth, and you said no one else was saying those things. That's a reflection of uh, this is just in your head, and there's yeah. so, and, and in anything in life, like with the anxiety, it's stopping and grounding ourselves with reality, whether it's yes. our body image whether it's the airplane or all of the above at one time, goodness gracious. I know I've watched people have panic attacks and Mm -hmm. anxiety and I know it's, it's very, very stressful. Doesn't even begin to describe it, but, um, grounding ourselves in our body image and in Mm -hmm. our outward image, it's like inward and outward image of the world. Um, because reality is far greater than the delusions that we, that we tell ourselves. And, uh, Goodness, Megan, we could talk for hours and hours. We've already (laughs) gone, I think, over an hour here, but
1: I know this is the funnest. I mean, I just love talking about like life and you know deep things for like I could talk about this. We could do like a marathon for like four days
0: in a row. We'll we'll get a a big audience on YouTube, and we'll just talk for four. And everyone will get bored after ten. I know, except us. (laughs) I know that's so true. Um, well, again, you've got a book coming out. Do we have a title on the book in the fall?
1: It's, it's a secret. I am keeping it held okay. off because I just, <laughs> um, the title is still a secret. Um, but I have a book currently in the works on the manuscript. Um, and then I have an editor as well as a ghost writer. Um, and this book, I'm really excited because it's hard cover and it's, I'm going to pitch it to publishers and, you know, cross my fingers um, I'm excited to go on that little, you know, journey of pitching yeah. it and just hopefully getting it picked up by, you know, like um, Harper Collins or Penguin or Random, and just very, very excited for a book tour in the fall. And um, yeah, you know, it's just it's the book is really not to give too much away, but the book is it's just still about my experiences as a teenager with school and why I am on this mission to change the public school system. And I mean, change may not be the best word, but you know, just to like, I don't know, make it more modern and to like implement classes about, you know, self love and kind of more up to date, like current, like social media and with the current times, I think just a refresh
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Um okay, and then you've also got three other books, uh Why Don't I Look Like Her, Everything mm-hmm. Is Happening For You Not To You, and You Can Choose. Those are the three. Those are the titles we can disclose. <laughs> that are yes, those are those are the wrote. titles.
1: Um those are my three first books on I pu- I self-published them all on Amazon because I was when I first, when I wrote my first book, I was I had just turned 20. I 19, I was 19 or 20. And I just, you know, knew I was like, I love this title. Why don't I look like her? Because that is something I literally used to say all the time to Mm -hmm. myself. I would, you know, Mm -hmm. be going through school and just have this constant inner dialogue. I felt like I was buckled into like this merry-go-round and I couldn't get off, even though I like what, you know, I forgot I was the one with the key to get myself off, but I'm like, oh gosh, you know, it's, that girl, she's, you know, I just would always say, why don't I look like her? And the, I don't know, it was just so hard. And I feel like I was so hard on myself. And I I don't know, it's like, and I remember when I was younger, I would come home crying from school a lot. And Mm. my mom would say, you know, Megan, if I could like give you one gift, it would literally just be for one day, I would wish that you could see yourself through the eyes of the people that you make feel so good because she's like Megan you're such a special person like you make people you make other people feel so good and so special and so happy and i really wish like for one day you could just feel that instead of beating yourself up about the size of your forehead or how pale you are like she's like you like you just have no idea like you make other people feel like a million bucks and like I just wish that you could feel that. So that's something that like, I haven't forget. And on my days where I feel insecure, still at 24, I have moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, you know what, like, why am I doing this to myself? Like, what, what is the end goal? Like, what am I getting out of this? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And, And again, going back to the parents thing, that's something for us to keep in mind uh, just as simple as saying, I love you to your kids, but also pointing out all the great things about them. I think, uh, the young people out there need to hear that as do the older folks and everyone in between mm-hmm. <laughs> we, and uh, I think we, as a society, we need to do a, a ton more of that. We're at like maybe half of 1% of where we should be with that. We need to be complimenting with, within reason of what's real. We don't need to make stuff up, but all mm-hmm. these things are real about you, like. Uh, like everyone you're a beautiful young woman I don't say any sort of flirty way or anything you're a beautiful young woman I've seen your pictures and all the yeah. people out there have their beauty and they need to know that and, and they need to hear that from others too and yeah. uh, so goodness Megan thank you we gotta <laughs> we gotta wrap up we can keep going I know, <laughs> I know this is but... the problem
1: this is what I do on my Instagram lives every time I'm like <laughs> okay everyone so like have a nice day and then I'm like you guys, have you, like, I literally am like, okay, and we're, no, we're, oh, we're not, oh, the, fl- the plane isn't landing. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, it shows you're a very smart, bright person. You've got a lot of things going on in your, and that's probably part of what's fed into some of the anxiety, if we're being honest, too, but yes. you, the website, meganwgallagher.com, we'll link all that up. I'm not going to spell that out right now, but I know. <laughs> uh, that's, we'll link that in the show notes and uh, these books. And you've got a third, uh, you've already done two uh, TED Talks. I haven't done any myself. I'm almost 40, but I'm not going to feel bad about myself. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> your no, third time TED for that. Talk coming out in the summer as well. So, a lot of things to look forward to on uh, as far as your content coming out. And you've got a lot of great things to say, and I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, one of the things you said where I'd like to wrap up with this, if this Uh, I don't, I don't know if I dare ask you if there's anything you'd like to add in closing.
1: (laughs) Oh gosh. I mean, it's like closing part one, part two, part (laughs) part half. Um, I, yeah, you know, I would just say to anyone who's like listening, who just feels like, you know, I feel like no one understands how I'm feeling or that no one's been through this and overcame it. I would say one, you're not alone. Um, two, there are, people who have been through what you are feeling and who have come out on the other side. And three, I would say, give yourself the permission and like, give yourself the key to thinking good and feeling good. Like allow yourself to just take a vacation in your mind. I think we as humans, but specifically people who overthink or who overanalyze, I think we, you know, kind of torture ourselves and we spend hours and days dwelling and going over things in our head like scenarios mm-hmm. that we didn't have the control over just over and over and over again. Yeah. And it's so important to just, you know what, it's like, give yourself the permission to just say, I accept and I move on and just start practicing the art of like letting go. I, I will be doing that probably till I'm (laughs) 99 years old. Um, But I just, to me, it's like, give yourself that gift of just letting go and enjoying your life and not worrying because you don't want to get to like, you know, 80 years old and be like, wow, you know, I spent my whole life just like I was so worried about, I don't know, you know, other people and what they would think and all of these, you know, worst case scenario outcomes that most of them never really came true. And it, I kind of, you know, built it up in my head to be this thing that it's like, did, well, did that really happen? You know, so I think mm-hmm. just giving yourself a gift.
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful note to close on give yourself a gift and various ways to do that. And you can do small gifts along the way of the breathing techniques and the meditation yes. and, and the uh, EFT tapping and all the other things yeah. we're talking about. There's so <laughs> much we talked about. So go back and listen to this episode 200 times and absorb it all. And yes. last thing I would say that I heard in your Ted talk that I, is a simple concept that I think we all need to remember is, but you said life begins as you step outside your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's a hard thing to do for people with anxiety but with all these other techniques and there's tools at our disposal, you can have do and be anything you want in your life. And Megan, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all these things today. And, uh, all the beautiful things that you are as a person and share with the world. And uh, we look forward to your book and we'll find out that secret title sooner or later. I know, <laughs>
1: thank you so much, Phil, for having me on. This was so much fun. It's the best way to start my morning because now I think when we started, the clouds were, it was kind of cloudy out, but now it's like <laughs> blue skies. We're
0: part of the clouds in LA.
1: I know, part in clouds. <laughs> um, but thank you so much, Phil. And I, this was just so much
0: fun. Great. Thank you. And to our audience, this is how we close the podcast. I always say empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to empower humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast for more great content. And to stay up to date, visit empowerhumans.com. We'll catch you next time.